Welcome to episode 343 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Whoa, you just stole my intro. <laughs> I was so eager to get after it, and I kind of saw your mouth going. I figured maybe we could just sync it up. I I, I feel like I held in a sneeze now. <laughs> I guess it does feel somewhat unnatural. Cut to everybody else who's listening and saying, why? <laughs> why did you do it that way? Sorry, I was preempting a bit because podcasting is life, and life is more than podcasting. And so this is one of those episodes where we actually have some constraints on our recording time. So... This is going to be a little bit different. We're kind of calling it audible. Of course, we're still talking about the 10 words and we're coming up to the end of this. It's really been delightful for me. I know how you felt about it. I've really enjoyed it. No, no need to say you've also enjoyed it. I love the law of the Lord. Let's just, we'll just read Psalm 119. That's the episode today. I don't want there to be any pressure in your response. So we're on number nine, the ninth word, as it were. And just a quick reminder, the whole point of going through this and why it's occurring in the context of this greater conversation about systematic theology is because throughout the history of the church, the Ten Commandments have been central to Christian ethical reflection. As some could probably argue that really it's a more postmodern view to push them aside. This embracing of some kind of antinomianism has existed throughout the church, but at the center of gravity for ethical Christian reflection has stood the Ten Commandments. And so pastors, theologians, Christians, lay people, they've all gone back consistently to the Ten Words. And it's been about exploring the breadth and the depth of our obligations to God and to each other. Not in a way, of course, it's meritorious, but in a way that is to bring us into greater training and righteousness. We keep saying these 10 words, they are a window and they are a mirror. They're both these things. We see something of the beautiful hues, the color of God's character, very distinctly in these laws. And then we also find the mirror that gives us something to look into so that we might understand what it means to be righteous and then find that righteousness fulfilled in Christ for all of our merit. And then for our practice to have good training and encouragement to obey them so that we might have life abundant. So there's a lot of good stuff here. And in the interest of time, we're just going to get into it. I was trying to think of like a greater segue, but we'll save the affirmations and denial. They're out there, loved ones. We have them. They're waiting in the wings. It's they want to work their way in sometimes. But in the interest of time, let's just start talking about this commandment. Now, in case anybody is wondering what that commandment actually is, I'm just going to pull it up. And again, they're so succinct as to be beautiful for us. And this is, we're in Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Ready, set, go. Yeah, I mean, this is this is one of those, I feel like a broken record because I, I, I don't know, somewhere along the line, it felt novel to say that we can't, we can't do this. <laughs> I don't know why that felt novel since that's like one of the core like principles of biblical reformed theology is that we we can't do this. But as we started to talk about the Ten Commandments, it was like every week we we're like, who who can bear up under this? And the answer, of course, right. is nobody except Christ. And I think for the day and age that we live in, this even even more than uh, the Seventh Commandment, with all of its implications for lust and pornography and unchastity, all of those things, even more than that, perhaps in our day is this issue right here is speaking truthfully and speaking in a, and I'm going to go one step further than just truthfully speaking in a way that tends towards our neighbor's good. That right. that's what this commandment is about. It's not just, it's not just don't tell lies. It is of course that, but it's not just don't tell lies because there's a way to tell the truth that violates this this commandment right you can you can yes. say the truth to someone in a way that destroys their reputation or destroys them that still violates the principle of this commandment so i'm i'm excited to get into it because i think like most of these that we've talked about probably all of them this really is a it's like a scalpel that the you know god as the surgeon is using to sort of like cut away the rotten flesh Right. He cuts it away. He cuts it away. And then as the skilled surgeon, the skilled physician, he grafts in Christ's 
Christ's holiness into us to restore us. Right now, they're not not in like not for justification, right? But for sanctification, God is taking away the corrupt, diseased, rotten flesh, and He's replacing it with the clean, new, holy skin graft of Jesus's righteousness. We want to think of it that way. And the Ten Commandments, particularly, and the law generally, is the scalpel that He uses to to scrape away all the crap. And I think for this commandment we really have to step back and think about what does it mean to bear false witness against our neighbor, right? So every word of the scripture is inspired. It's not like that against our neighbor is just tacked on. Um, It certainly is a sin to say things that are untrue, but the command here is particularly oriented towards how we speak about our neighbor. And of course, our neighbor would be any, anyone that we encounter and especially the people who, who comprise the family of God. Right. You're just already coming in hot with all that holy nuance and the metaphor of debriding. But this, again, we just can't get away from being a healthcare yeah. podcast. We it's try. True. It's true. This is what, probably some, some AI is giving us awards because they're just running the transcript. <laughs> Apparently, we just <laughs> all the time use medical metaphors. I, of course, I think you're totally spot on with this. This is the beauty of it. I, I feel as though there is some escalation in these 10 words. Yeah. And we kind of talked about that all throughout, which is somewhat ironic given that it starts with have only me before you. God saying he is the only one, the one true God. That seems like that would be the final escalation. And yet it's somehow it's more the foundation. The pyramid is being constructed, of course, from the bottom up. And at the base of that is this idea that there is only one God. And so much of this, as I was pondering it, just ties in. There's There literally is like a straight line right through, as you already mentioned, you beat me to it, the seventh and I think the eighth commandment here. Like there's just, we're just gaining massive momentum as we go through. Because in this one, we see God is wishing that the reputation, the good name, as you said, the upright character of our neighbor, any, anybody who's in our sphere of influence, anybody that we know, even people we don't know, to be take, not to not be taken away or diminished. Just like we already talked about not having money or possessions taken away, that everyone may stand in his integrity before his family, his spouse, his neighbors. This is so important. And to your point, I, I want to get into this right away because you already kind of just, I think, nailed on this nuance, which is in this, I think sometimes there is this proclivity to look at the ninth word as saying, well, any act of volitional kind of like falsity or volitional, vindictive, like any kind of injurious thing I can do with my tongue that I am purposely engaging. And that's what's being commanded against here. And it is so much more than that. And especially in a day and age where we can communicate with each other and about each other in a very prolific way, in a way that we distribute the tongue across so many different mediums and reach a larger group of people. This is more important than ever to really understand what this means. I love how in the beginning we have God, of course, creating man and the tongue, which was at first made to be an organ of God's praise, is essentially by implication here now become an instrument of unrighteousness or potential unrighteousness. And the commandment binds the tongue back to its good behavior. But that good behavior is more than just volition. It is omission. There is commission and there is omission, I think, embedded in this. And so I like, I think it was John Flavel, who said something like, God has set two natural fences to keep in the tongue, the teeth and the lips. And this commandment is a third fence set about it, that it should not break forth into some kind of evil. I love that. So let's talk about like what you said. Let's unpack this idea of like what I'm calling like commission and omission. And omission even being like you said, let's talk about you could tell the truth. This is not necessarily about lying. The commandment isn't lying. It's bearing this this false witness. So how can there be false witness even in the midst of truth? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and so just to get it out of the way, there are obviously questions that come up when you're talking about this, like, um, you know, if if the Nazi comes to my door and I tell them that there are no Jews hiding under the floorboards, am I breaking this commandment, right? Or did Ray, was Rahab guilty of breaking the commandments? Were the midwives guilty of breaking this Shifram commandment? Pua. Um, Shifram Pua. Um, those are interesting questions. I, I don't want to talk about them right now, though. I think that that is too far afield. It's too nitty gritty. I love um, it. We don't have to talk about them. You know, we may get to them another time. We may not. Um, those are great questions to ask, and they really do make you wrestle through the nature of what this commandment means. And I think one of the things that I think we forget about this commandment is that things like gossip, which 
some people may quibble that that there's a difference between uh, between sharing gossip and sharing a rumor. But typically speaking, when you share gossip, it's a, it's something true that you're sharing that you don't really have a right to share. You you don't have a purpose, or you don't, or or at worst, it's a malicious thing that you're saying um, with the purpose of tarnishing someone's gossip. But even what you might think of as more like innocent gossip, where you're just like sharing someone else's news, you're just talking about someone else's stuff. That's a violation of this commandment, but it's, it's often true. So like, um, here, here would be an example that I think most of us can resonate. These are made up names, made up situations, but, um, I can remember being in, in like middle school or like high school and youth group and finding out that so-and-so likes so-and-so, right? Jimmy likes Susie and, and, you know, you, you would, you would keep that secret for a little while until like it was sort of socially expedient for you to be able to share that with somebody when you could gain, garner a little bit of like credibility or somehow could elevate your own reputation. Or maybe you're thinking real altruistically, like maybe you could tell Susie and that would be a way that like you could help Jimmy out. All of that is actually just wicked sinfulness. It's our desire in some instances to try to control things, right? Or it's our desire to make us look better. Um, you might have something like a rumor where you're sharing something that may or may not be true. You know, it's not necessarily a lie if you're telling someone, well, I heard that this might be the case. I don't know. I can't verify it, but it might. this might be the case. That's just as much a violation of this commandment. So I just want to read, I want to read from question 144 and 145 from the, the Westminster Larger. It's a little bit of a longer chunk, but I want to read the whole thing because I think it's really instructive for us. So question 144 is, what are the duties required in the ninth commandment? And the answer is, the duties required in the ninth commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man, the good name of our neighbor, as well as our own, appearing and standing for the truth and from the heart, sincerely, freely, clearly, and fully speaking the truth and only the truth in matters of judgment and justice and in all other things whatsoever, a charitable esteem of our neighbor, loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good name, sorrowing and covering their infirmities freely acknowledging of their gifts and graces, defending their innocency, already receiving of a good report and a willingness to admit an unwillingness to admit of an evil report concerning them, discouraging talebearers, flatterers and slanderers, love and care of our own good name and defending it when, uh, when need requires keeping of lawful promises, studying and practicing of whatsoever things are true, honest, lovely, and of good report. So here's a concrete example. I'm not going to say who it was, because that would actually probably be a violation of this commandment. But I had a situation maybe like, I don't know, it was maybe like five, six months ago where um, somebody that um, I had interacted with online was um, was receiving partial clips of what I was saying, right? They, he and I had had blocked each other online forums. We weren't seeing each other's information, but people were taking screenshots of things I was saying and bringing them to this person. And then this person would comment about them and would never have the full picture because he wasn't looking at the conversation in context. He wasn't reading the whole thing. He wasn't assessing the arguments. He was just finding these clips. And of course, the people who were coming to him were bringing only like the most inflammatory, possibly inflammatory things that were being said. So we had a conversation he was, um, he had enough integrity that when I reached out and said, we need to talk about this, um, he accepted the, uh, invitation. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. He accepted the, the opportunity to talk about this. And what I said to him is our shared confessional tradition holds that for you to allow someone to come to you and bring you a part of a conversation accept it at face value and draw a negative conclusion based on partial information is a violation of the ninth commandment. It was not discouraging talebearers. It was a ready admission of an evil report instead of an unwillingness. And so we, we had the conversation. I don't know that I was fully satisfied with the outcome, but we had the conversation and, and to his credit, it seems like some of that behavior has changed. So that's an example. What they were bringing to this person was not untrue right? They were just taking screenshots of things that I said online. It wasn't untrue, but it was incomplete. And because it was incomplete, it was only bringing part of a picture and a part of the picture that was slanted a direction that wasn't true. 
So that that's where I think we have to think about this commandment, not just, you know, it's kind of like tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. That's that's what being honest is. Now, there are times where the best thing you can do to be honest is to keep your mouth shut. Right? right. If I know um again, made up situation, let's say that I know someone named Jake and Jake is an alcoholic. Well, I don't have to tell people that, right? There might be somebody that it does actually make sense for me to tell. If Jake comes to me and says, I'm really struggling with alcoholism, but I'm not going to do anything about it. And Jake professes to be a Christian. It's not a violation of the, of the ninth commandment for me to call Jake's pastor and say, Jake just told me he's struggling with alcoholism, but he doesn't care. That's not a violation of the ninth commandment. But when I see John the next day and John and Jake are both my friends, I don't go, hey, you know what Jake told me? Can you believe that this is what Jake... We should pray for Jake. Like, there are a lot of ways to make your gossip sound really pious. Um, it may it may not be a sin for you to share with another close friend that a friend of yours has confided something. I'm not saying that it always is, but it very likely could be. And some of that has to depend with why you're doing it. Am I doing... Am I sharing this information about this hypothetical Jake the alcoholic? Again, entirely hypothetical. Am I sharing that with the person I'm sharing them with out of genuine concern for Jake? Am I striving to cover his infirmities? Not in a deceptive way, but am I striving to cover over his infirmities with love, overlooking what I can? Or am I using this knowledge that I have now to elevate myself or to knock him down? Um, and maybe I'm not even thinking about why I'm doing it. That probably is not good either. It's a quick excursus, if you'll let me have this for just a second, because I think this applies to everything we talked about before, but especially this, given the examples that you've given here, which I think are helpful, is that sometimes I think the 10 words get critiqued under this guise that they do not allow for enough nuance because of the complexity of human life and interaction. But it's actually the other way around. Yeah. Because of the complexity of human life, especially its compromise under the fall, and the biggest nature of sin, which permeates all of these things, it's all the more necessary and appropriate that there would be hegemony given to these principles. The principles themselves call us to understand then that life is complex and that there is thoughtfulness that should accompany the way in which we try to train ourselves through Christ in righteousness and then practice that righteousness. So like to your point there, are there questions? Are there even things in the scripture? And again, we might go to the scripture in some of these times, we should do an episode sometime just like on the Shifra Pua episode or, or all the other cases. But I think we could easily almost in some ways answer all those questions and do that episode right now by saying that this commandment is in line with the six, which says it's not just not to murder, right. but also to promote life. And what we're but God is basically saying here is promote life with the tongue. The tongue can be so destructive as to actually take and destroy. It's easy to use. It costs almost nothing to do this kind of vast yeah. destruction. And so really to me, this is just an extension of that. It's almost kind of doubling down on that idea of giving life. It's just saying in this way, you ought to always promote it. So Everyone is supposed to help their neighbor to secure his right. That's that's almost like the Eighth Commandment too, right? This like, what is owed to someone? Yeah. You ought to pay. If you don't, it is a form of theft. So don't allow news, even if it's true, to be hindered or twisted or to use it in some way to promote yourself or in some way to be an unfair judge or a witness. And I think in our day and age in particular, especially with the internet, this is where it's just so tempting to come in, even if it's like, and, and of course, lying is covered in this, like that, that, but that's kind of just like, that's a low hanging fruit, yeah, right? Like yeah. that's the stuff you're going to have getting your tiptoes to, to pick. It's more than that, because what we're saying here, I think, is we shouldn't assume some kind of jurisdiction, even if there's like an offense of something, even if there's like private and privileged information and want to go and carry it to every corner of the globe, which the average person can almost literally do now with the way information travels. Yeah. So that we are tickled or delighted by that, or we can stir up somebody else's displeasure, or we can get somebody else riled up, even in our favor. And so the law here is really condemning and damning because it's just so easy to do these things, even if it's an act of omission. And so I'm thinking about my own life and saying, I want to get that, like if it's a continuum, that part that is omission where I'm just not thinking, I want to get that piece as small or short, like the duration on that part of the continuum, really tiny, because I want to be thinking more and more about how am I using the tongue? And to your point, any knowledge which is not ours to impart, any knowledge which we don't know for certain, we should just not participate in. 
that that's what's happening here. I, I used to think of this more as like, well, this is a prohibition against like going to court and literally bearing false witness. Yeah. But those words are words that we have like appropriated in the Western culture as we understand them in kind of a jurisprudence kind of way. It's not exactly the way, of course, like the original hearers would have heard this. It's also that, but it's way more than that. So to me, this is an extension of do not steal and promote life. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think it it bears saying when questions like, was it sinful for people to lie about the fact that they were hiding um, Jews from the Nazis? When those come up, I think it's important for us to recognize that God's law is consistent. So it's never the case that obeying one command necessarily causes you to, to not obey another command right. in a perfect situation. But it's also never a perfect situation. And so we're, I'm not ever saying that we should do a calculation and choose the lesser of two sins, right? We should always strive to not sin. But it's also the, it's also the case too that um, there are sometimes situations where there is no option out that is not sinful in some sense. And so I think when you start to when you start to stack up those hypothetical situations, it's almost like you're you're um it's almost like you're stacking the deck against the question, right? It's it's like when someone says like, "Well, is it a sin to hide Jews from the Nazis because you have to lie to do it?" That's almost asking the wrong question because it almost right. it yeah. almost is like you're saying God's law can't be perfect because yes. You can't preserve life in that situation and also not deceive somebody. Now, just, just to cut to the chase on it, I don't think that it is actually lying. I don't, I shouldn't say it's not lying. I don't think that it's a violation of this commandment to tell someone who has no right to know whether you're hiding Jews under your floorboards that there are no Jews there. I don't think we're under, we would be under a moral obligation to answer that person in a straightforward, forthright manner. Now, there's all sorts of reasons that I, I could give. I'm not going to. But um, likewise, I don't think that when the midwives told Pharaoh what they told them, first of all, I actually think that what they said was true. Um, I don't think that we are understanding what's going on in the text the right way right. when we think that the midwives showed up in the middle of a delivery and then they told Pharaoh that the baby was already born when they got there. I don't think that's what's going on. But even if that was what was going on, I don't think that it actually is a violation of this commandment to tell the the Pharaoh something that is not factually correct in order to preserve life. So we can take that hypothetical off the table, but when we try to superimpose and oppose those things against each other, we basically are challenging whether or not God's law is internally coherent. So we have to even be careful with those kinds of questions, not to make an assumption that there's no way that the two things could cohere. The sixth commandment is the uh, is for the advancing of life and the, the stopping of the taking of life. The seventh commandment is the advancing of human sexuality in an appropriate fashion and the prohibition against illicit use of sex, human sexuality. Eighth commandment is in stealing. Like Those things are all stacking on top of each other. And then I think you're right. The ninth and 10th commandment actually are like escalations of those in that those all have heart implications. Those are all things that start in the heart and then work their way out. Nine and 10 are, are like ex almost exclusively what's going on in your heart, right? Out of the mouth, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what comes out of our mouth very much is the work of our heart. Like it's, it's not just an outward action. It's actually like the manifestation of our heart externally. So this is really getting at that same idea. And just like we said with other, the other commandments, there's a sort of a symmetry between this commandment of not bearing false witness and the commandment to not misuse God's name. And it's, it's again, like we saw with the other commandments, how we are to treat people is a direct reflection of how we are to treat God because we're treating God's image bearers in a certain way. And so there's a reflection of how do we treat the image, which is God, and how do we treat the one that's bearing that image, which is, is mankind. And it's interesting, you know, I'm um, I'm getting ready to fill the pulpit at our church here for a couple months. And um, I've been studying James, trying to get ready for that. 
and the next section that I'm preaching uh, out of James is um, is the section of taming the tongue. And what I found really interesting as I've been studying is these principles that James is bringing forward. They're actually not just Christian principles, right? They're not even. They're not even like a lot of work has been done to show how like James is super dependent on the Psalms. So this this need to control our tongues is all over the Psalms. I don't have any handy, ready examples, but there's lots and lots of Psalms that talk about controlling your tongue, about not not being a flatterer, not being a slanderer, you know, not being boastful. But those, the same examples that James uses, right, a, a, a horse that's controlled by a small bit, a, a ship that's controlled by a small runner, a flame that is a, a small spark that burns the whole forest. Those were actually examples that were really common across a lot of different cultures at the time. And what that tells me and we should not be surprised at this, that tells me that this is actually part of God's moral law that's woven into the fabric of the universe. So even though we live in a time right now where people sort of seem to feel free and open to just say untrue things, it's kind of funny because I, the way that I remember that um, the prohibition against false witness is uh, Exodus 2016, the, the little mnemonic that I use is that 2016 is the year that Trump was elected and it was like the era of false news. Like that phrase false news just came into being and in basically in 2015, 2016. Right. So that's how I remember this commandment. But that's true though. We live in this era where it, people seem to feel totally free just saying things that aren't true. And I, I don't know what to do with that because it is such a natural moral obligation and impulse that Christians and, and non-Christians have to speak truthfully. Um, like look at any corporate uh, code of conduct, any, any corporation that you look at, whether it's, you know, a business like Best Buy or a bank or a hospital or anything, any corporate code of ethics is going to have something in there about being honest and having integrity. Right. It, it's just there. So even even though we can point it and say that a lot of people in those businesses don't do that, and it's true, a lot of a lot of businesses have those things on their code of conducts, and then they still may operate in very underhanded, unethical ways. But they at least understand that they need to say and put that forward as an ideal because it is woven into the fabric of the universe that truth exists and it matters. Right. And and how we say things and what we say, if it does not correspond to reality. And it doesn't correspond to the benefit of the hearer. We need to rethink whether we should say it. So I have I have a lot of situations in my job now where I may have to tell somebody something that they don't want to hear. I may have to deliver a, a difficult answer to a question they have. And I have to be very careful because I can either deliver that in a way that comes across as uncaring and unkind, or I can deliver it in a way that that shows I'm trying to do what's right for them. And unfortunately, what's right for them is to tell them a, a difficult truth. That's very hard to walk that line. And I don't, I certainly don't do it perfectly, but that's, that's really a, a major component of this commandment. We see that even in, um, even in the answer here, right? Um, discouraging talebearers, flatterers, and slanderers. So even when someone is flat, when someone's flattering you, they're saying something that's probably true but they're doing it in order to sort of like ingratiate themselves to you and gain control over you. Well, we're supposed to discourage that. So that's discour I should discourage people who seek to flatter me to try to try to gain some benefit. I should be discouraged from being a flatterer myself. If someone is, if I see and observe someone flatter being a flatterer in relation to someone else, I should discourage that. And I don't necessarily know what that always looks like. It's not like I'm going to run up and be like, stop being a flatterer. None of these things you're saying are valid and applicable to the situation, but I should work hard to have truth be valuable and be meaningful and to be appropriately spoken in season, right? It's, it's all about, it's all about how we communicate the things that we need to communicate and how we sometimes put our hand over our mouth. I'm not actually putting my hand over my mouth because that would be dumb when I'm podcasting, but how we put our hand over our mouth and sometimes we just shut up and we don't say anything. It's not beneficial for me to add my my two cents to this situation. I have nothing valuable to add, so I'm not just going to talk to hear my own voice or to make sure that my attendance is recorded at this meeting, right? How often do we do that where we just make a comment in a meeting so that way if someone says, hey, was Tony at that meeting? They'd be like, oh yeah, he said that one thing. 
Like we don't need to do that. There's no doubt that our culture has this strange love affair with truth and truthfulness, right? And especially in the words that we speak, but it's more like we treat truth sometimes like the mistress. So just at least in the Western culture, or let's say in the Americas, or just say North America, just make it in the United States, I'm just going to really narrow it down. The fact that we have this term true fact, which has become more and more prevalent in our language is like at best oxymoronic. And at worst, it just betrays the fact that Words do matter. So to your point, we have this innate understanding that it does mean something. And so because we know that people can use something, manipulate words in an untruthful way, even when they're trying to say this thing is absolute, it's resolute, we need to qualify a fact by saying whether or not it's true. And a fact by its very nature is something that comports with reality. It's really embarrassing if you think about it. And so I I like what you said, and I think that's right on. It's, It's worth emphasizing that, you know, if you look to, to uh, Matthew 18, where Jesus is talking about how to deal with conflict, really interpersonal conflict among the family. He makes this really pragmatic statement, which is equal parts are a reflection of God. And of course, equal parts are a reflection of the best way to do things because God creates the best way to do things. And so when he says like, listen, if, if a brother has wronged you, go talk to that person. Like you might find that in like some kind of New York Times bestseller right now for like right. the proper way, 10 steps to properly manage conflict in your workplace, go speak to the person directly. You know, like it seems so obvious. And so of course, why wouldn't we expect that when God says through Jesus Christ, I've come to give you life abundant. And he's saying, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets by way of example and justification and righteousness that we might also just say, well, isn't this practical? Like, won't my life be better? Won't things go better? Not the best, but won't they go better for me if I do these things? And that's why there's so much beauty in this, because as much as there is in this this sharp edge that cuts really deeply, there is at the same time this sense where if we can come alongside and see this as training for righteousness, we'll understand that there's just so much meat, as it were, on the bone for us to consume that we might improve the way in which we live and work and walk and interact among one another, even if it is just only online. So to me, What I'm seeing here in this ninth word is that really no one should do any injury with his tongue to his neighbor. And by neighbor, we mean everybody. It could be your friend or the person you think is your enemy, nor speak any kind of evil of that person, no matter if it's true or false, unless, and this is, I think, what you're driving out, unless it's really done under this commandment with clear conscience for that person's reformation. Yeah. That is like for some kind of restoration, for some kind of bringing about life encouragement, not flattery for the sake of cheapness, but to actually bring about a restoration of relationship or growth that is under the Holy Spirit. Everyone needs to employ his or her tongue to make it serve for the best of everyone else. And that's what makes it so hard. It's really saying, not just be charitable in your thoughts, but then let where you wear your heart on your sleeve, which really is the words that you say, that that itself would be the normative position would be just complete charity, which is is wild, right? Yeah. Because people will hear you speak and be like, "Wow, really? You're gonna you're gonna assume what's best there? You're gonna presume comfort? You're gonna presume understanding? You're gonna presume what's charitable and what's kind and what's loving?" And the answer is yes. That is what God requires of us because probably that space where we have the appropriate liberty and freedom to leverage this knowledge that we have of somebody else in a way where it's like the most direct and where we can share that information if it's true, is those circumstances are probably very, very small. And I think, let's talk about this real quick. I, I think that oftentimes the, the complexity of bringing this into practice is that it's not, we're, we're just, it's just so easy to violate this commandment when it doesn't involve the person directly. You know, in other words, like it's just so easy for us to have conversation about somebody else even if we think we're not gossiping, we're not doing anything wrong here, we're not talking behind their back. And yet really what's happening is we're not presuming charity on the person who is not present. Yeah. I think very rarely does this happen like directly because as we said, where I'm going to lie to somebody straight up for some kind of reason where I want to presume that I'm giving life. But instead here, what's happening is we're like adjudicating or we are, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but uh, certainly I can think of conversations where it's easy for me to manufacture a hypothetical world and then presume somebody's interaction or what they might do in that hypothetical world and then get upset about that yeah. reaction yeah. that doesn't actually exist. 
And to me, that's all a violation of this commandment. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because one of the, um, one of the exercises that, um, you know, I've been on this sort of stoic philosophy thing for a while now. And one of the exercises that, um, they, they talk about is sort of assessing what you actually know. And so the example, I don't remember which book I was reading it in, but one of the examples they give is, you know, a person, um, a person's spouse comes home from work and, um, and they say something that, you know, is kind of, it's kind of innocuous. It's neutral. Um, you know, Oh, Hey, did you, did you get a chance to take the garbage out today? Right. So whatever, whoever, whoever it is that, that comes home, they say, Hey, did you get a chance to take out the garbage today? And for whatever reason, the person who hears that interprets that as, man, I can't believe that they think that I'm so lazy that I wouldn't take the garbage out. Of course I took the garbage out. And the exercise is to say like, well, did they actually say that they think you're lazy? And they, did they, did they actually say that they think you didn't take the garbage out? Um, and I've actually done that a few times with, with people I've, I've worked with in my job where they'll, they'll come to me and they'll say such and such a person, staff member said this, and they, you know, they obviously don't care about my healthcare. And I'll just say, Hey, did that person say they don't care about your healthcare? And it has never, it's never blown up in my face so far. Because when you actually ask that question, when you slow down to ask, well, what, what actually do I know about the situation? Right. I know that my spouse asked me if I took the garbage out today. That's what I know actually is, is true. Well, what the Christian perspective on this is, the way that this commandment, as it's come to us and as we understand it in the Reformed tradition, what the Christian Reformed perspective asks of us to do is now to seek to preserve that person's good name. Now, that never means, it cannot mean that we overlook reality, right? right? If there's a reason for us to think that that person actually is... um saying or do something that is unlawful or that is sinful, we definitely should not be overlooking that. But if I don't have a reason to think that my spouse thinks a certain thing of me, unless I know it to be true, I may actually be slandering them in my own heart and in my own mind if I put on them something that isn't true, right? So this, although this is about the the reality of what your heart feels or what your heart thinks coming out of your mouth. It's also about taming you. Yeah. Like, uh, no man can tame the tongue, but the reason no man can tame the tongue is because no man can tame his heart. So that exercise of sort of stepping back, if I was to rephrase that in sort of Christian terms and reform terms here is instead of asking, what do I actually know? I would say something like, um, how am I, is what I'm thinking about this person rejoicing in their good name? Am I sorrowing for and covering their infirmities? Right. If I think my, if I think my coworker is lazy, um, I don't actually, they've never said they're lazy. Am I actually sorrowing over, am I, am I sorrowing over what I believe to be their laziness? And am I finding a way? And when I say covering for their infirmities, not compensating for their infirmities, covering for their infirmities, right? What am I doing in my own, to, to take my own perspective and to feel compassion for that person instead of anger, right? Um, is what I'm about to say, freely acknowledging this person's gifts and graces. Just to take my coworker again. If I'm gonna say to my other coworker, this person's really lazy, in what way am I freely acknowledging their gifts and graces? There's nobody that I work with that is perfect, there's also nobody that I work with that doesn't have gifts and graces. So what am I doing in that meeting where everyone else is complaining about how terrible this person is to freely acknowledge and rejoice over their, their gifts and graces? How am I defending their innocency? How am I unwilling to, am I unwilling to receive a, a wicked report or an evil report? Like all of these things we need to be looking at constantly. Maybe this is a good checklist for you to put up on your desk at work. Or wherever it is that you struggle with this. I say work just because I work in a place, the, the, the people that I work with are really nice people. 
I love my coworkers. I really, really enjoy working with the people that I work with. I'm not even really thinking about my immediate coworkers when I say this, but we live in a, a relatively small town and like most large businesses, it gets to be very clicky. And even within our, our organization, our organization has its own zip code. Like the hospital I work at has its own zip code. It literally is a small town. So it can be, there can be a lot of gossip and a lot of rumors and a lot of back talking going around. So what am I doing as a person who is a person of faith, who is known to be a person of faith to act differently and to speak against that, right? Am I the one that says, hey, hey guys, you know, Jane's not here right now. We probably shouldn't be, we probably shouldn't be talking about how, how poorly her last project went or how her last performance review went. Like we shouldn't be talking about that. She's not here to, to contribute. I don't see what purpose it serves. Have I ever done that? Yeah. I, do I do it nearly enough? Uh-uh. I definitely don't. And I, I'm just using that as an example because it's an area I can see in my own life that I'm not strong in this. So wherever it is that you're most tempted to do this, maybe you need to take question 144 of the Westminster Larger Catechism and put pop it into Notion AI and say, you know, identify action steps or identify heuristic questions based on this. And, and it probably would spit out a good list of things you could just print up and tape to your computer or put on your, you know, put next to your phone or on your keyboard or wherever it might be, put it on the mirror, wherever you're going to see it and think about it. I think it's a real good practical thing you can do with this information. Well, we're tempted to react, which is mostly all the time, because if you're like me, you're always conversing at some point with somebody or you're doing it enough regularly where something is going to come up. I like this idea of asking, what is it that I really know? Especially when, and we've all been here, it's some kind of circumstance where you feel tempted to weigh in with your opinion. And I think it's helpful to distinguish between opinion and fact. And if only to pass everything that you're going to say through that filter or to take a beat and to think about that. This really is like an excellent and noble virtue. I think there is like all in all the commandments here, a lot that is testifying when we seek to obey them as best we can. Again, not to earn kind of God's merit or favor, but more because we understand that it will go well with us. And also that this is what he requires of his children, that there is a blessing in doing this. One of those blessings is, honestly, that you will be perceived very differently, I think. So for instance, I can think of my own life. My grandmother is like an excellent example of following along this commandment. I've never heard her speak an injurious word about anybody. And what that means is, to me, she's the kind of person that I can speak to very openly, candidly, and I always have, because I know she's loving, she's kind, she's accepting. Now, this doesn't mean, and I presume this has happened, where she has spoken a critical word directly to somebody in the course of conversation, but I've never heard her speak an injurious word about somebody else. And so you all know that if like, you have that one person in your life that is either like eager to gossip or like somehow kind of finagles the truth in such a way about over another person to merely just leverage that as excitement and to titillate in the course of conversation, you know that you don't want to share anything with that person because you know that the thing that they're doing with you or that you were doing with them is the exact thing that's going to be replicated and propagated across like any number of conversations. Who wants to be that person? And also who wants to interact in a real way with that person? So again, to your point, Tony, like here we find just God being so loving and in the way that he, there's like a practicalness to his loving kindness that just says like, don't do this stuff. Like don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt those around you. It really is a noble virtue. So this idea of saying in the ninth commandment, we really want to explain, like, I would say like advantageously, like there is like, it's, it's almost like an, an offering of kindness to somebody else. And sometimes I think to your point, that offering of kindness is to say, um, guys, like, do we know for certain that person said that? Or like, do we know for certain that they were thinking that? Yeah, that could be an offering of kindness. Sometimes it is to say like, hey, we really shouldn't talk about this until like John is here. Like, let's just ask him what went down in that situation. Yeah. And let's go from there. It's always to put like the best construction on anything that we're going to say about anybody else, all of our neighbors. It is, of course, to condone like the strictly poisonous kind of tongue that seeks to destroy seeks to steal this seems to bring conflict and chaos of course it is all those things to seek to put blame on people especially unnecessarily but i think idea of this i mean where it is not being kind enough and me wanting to assert my place as like expert 
in human relations over things that I cannot prove. And so because I cannot prove them, I am really falling under the condemnation of this ninth word, which says, do not bear false witness. Bearing false witness is, is, is the idea of like, if you cannot prove it, there's you have every good reason to stop at least for a second and think about what you're saying or what you're about to say, or even like the motivations to your point, Tony, about why you're going to say this thing. And I think if I'm honest with myself, sometimes I'm saying something to either like garner support or garner pity or just excite people for the sake of that or to be the one that excites them. And in the end, not only is that, of course, against all of the previous commandments that are antecedent to this ninth one, but also like you're, we're actually like ruining our own reputations in some way, like we're bearing false witness against ourselves because this is not the kind of people that God has created us to be, not the kind of redemption that ought to be present in our lives. Because to your point, if people have the right to essentially judge the content of our hearts by the outworking of our words, then we are betraying that our hearts are far from God. And so we want to be close to God doesn't mean that we do it perfectly, as you said. It means that we're relying on the Holy Spirit for all sanctification. This is why we keep saying the Holy Spirit is the one that brings about the sanctification. But it is necessary for us, like a good training plan, no matter what you're doing, whether it's practicing instrument or trying to run a marathon or going back to school, whatever it is, you need a training plan. And these 10 words provide us with that training plan. And the bottom line is we ought to embrace them. Yeah. Just um, because I said it and I thought I would actually do it, I popped in the uh, question 144 into Notion AI, which we're not sponsored by Notion, but maybe we should be. Um, I popped it into Notion AI and said, formulate a list of questions to determine whether I, a given statement breaks the ninth commandment based on the above. And nice. here, here are the questions that it extrapolated for me. Am I preserving and promoting the truth between myself and others? Wow. I feel like if we just ask nice. that question before we opened our mouths, That's that would huge. bring us like 90% of the way there. Am I promoting the good name of my neighbor and myself? There we go. Am I speaking the truth in matters of judgment and justice? Am I acknowledging the gifts and graces of others? Am I defending the innocency of my neighbor? Am I receiving a good report and rejecting an evil report concerning others? Am I discouraging talebearers, flatterers, and slanderers? Am I caring for my own good name and defending it when necessary? That's not that's something we didn't even end up talking about. Yeah, is sure. that there are times where we shouldn't just let it go. We shouldn't just uh, we shouldn't just take the insult. We should at times say that's not true, that's not accurate of me, and here's why. Um, am I keeping lawful promises? We didn't even talk about like making oaths and and keeping our promises, letting our Yes, be yes, and our no be no. And lastly, am I studying and practicing things that are true, honest, lovely, and of good report? So that's another another element of this that we could we could talk about, right? And we we don't have time to actually talk about it, but just think about this. Am I spending my time? This goes with like my denial of last week um, with haunted cosmos, right? We didn't I didn't get any feedback at all. So apparently our audience doesn't care about that show. Nobody was mad at me for saying that, but is it? Studying and practicing things that are true, honest, lovely, and of good report to spend my time listening to two guys speculate about whether Bigfoot is a demon or whether he's a ghost or a Nephilim or a, or a giant ape. Is that studying and practicing that are, things that are true, honest, lovely, and of good report? Now, I think it's obvious what I think the answer to that question is, and that's not necessarily the point of asking it, of me asking it right now. But when you are going to spend your time on something, a book you're reading, a show you're watching, a podcast you're listening to, this podcast, right? Does does taking time to listen to this podcast every week, does that line up with saying you're studying and practicing things that are true, honest, lovely, and of good report? If you can't say yes to that question, then you really, really need to think about whether that's something you should be doing. So I I wouldn't have even I wouldn't have even put this on the list when I started when we started the episode. And this this is one of those times where like theology is happening in real time. Always. The shows that we watch on television might be a violation of the ninth commandment. Right. So like, it's not just about what you say. It's not just about what you do. It's about what you allow to inform your thinking could be a, a violation of the ninth commandment. So we're, we're up against the clock. We usually aren't, but we are today. So I'm, I'm going to just wrap up with leaving you with that list of questions. 
Um, I'm going to put those into the show notes. I know I don't usually do show notes, but I'm actually going to put them into the show notes this time because I think it is a really valuable exercise to take a look at the commandment, to break it down into its component parts, and then just start comparing. How are we lining up against this? We're always going to fail. So it's not meant to be like a checklist that you can never really complete, but it should be something that we look at on a daily basis. We should think through when we're taking action, we're, we're speaking, and we should meditate on this in that sort of like Old Testament chewing the cud kind of way. You right. chew on it over and over again, and you, you ruminate on it, you think about it, you let it get deep down in your heart, and then you do it again. That's what we want to be doing with this commandment. And That's, then that should drive us to Christ, right? That drives us to yeah, Jesus. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely yeah. right. And that's, that is like the mirror component of this is that it does force us or it ought to, right. To be reflective, to be so, man, that was a horrible pun. I didn't even mean to make that, but like <laughs> to be self-reflective, yeah. like under the influence of the Holy spirit. Let's end with this. I think one of the great ways that we can use these 10 words, and I've often tried to do this though, very not very well all the time is I presume that uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you have some sense in which you understand that, you know, before Christ, that we are beggars and that we are sinners and that we have transgressed this law of God, all of these 10 words greatly. And so I found great comfort in my personal time of confession, confession of going through these 10 words one by one and confessing explicitly how I have transgressed the covenant here. And I think this is just another place where I just keep coming back to, unfortunately, it is a healthcare metaphor. I just really keep coming back to this idea that the 10 words are like going undergoing invasive surgery. Yeah. And the thing is, like, if you get to the point where you need the invasive surgery, you come to this reality that without it, you will either suffer greatly or you will perish. And yet it just seems so wild that what you're agreeing to is for somebody to cut you open or to go inside your body someplace in a way that is seemingly unnatural. And to do a repair and then to have to bind up the very wound that they've created. And yet somehow in doing all of that, you are made better. You are restored. What is broken is mended. That is, I think, what we have here. So it, it will be painful. It's painful for me to think about this commitment in particular. It ought to be. And yet just like surgery itself is initially especially painful, there is a great restoration and almost a regeneration that comes with it. And so... I want us to be honest about that. There's great healing in all these things we talked about, whether it's the seventh commandment or the first or the eighth. There's all these great transgressions before God. And yet here we have our great high priest who is an excellent surgeon and doesn't just, of course, come to flatter. But what he does, he tells us the truth about who we are. He himself, of course, embodies in perfection a complete obedience to this particular commandment as all the others. And then says, you, you, I'm going to make you like myself. And while that doesn't happen completely right now on this side, it will eventually. And we can stand in that promise now, even as we use this as training for righteousness. So hopefully others are with us on that, that we're willing to say, Lord, take out the scalpel. It's time. Yeah. And I think that's what we need to be about. It's both that wonderful window into who God is and that mirror into who we are. Yeah. Well, I think that just about does it, Jesse. Until next time, honor everyone. Love that brotherhood. <laughs>